So welcome back to Leaders of Consulting. And today with us, we have Rupert Taylor, who's the managing director of two businesses, Pro4 Solutions and Kibu, which we'll hear about later in this episode. And he has over 35 years of experience in the leadership of change and transformation programs. I know Rupert through some of the work I did as a telecoms consultant myself back in the days, where I often found myself working on projects with some of his colleagues at Pro4. So welcome to the show, Rupert. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Jonathan. It's Excellent. good to be here. Absolutely. So I'd love to just dive in and start talking about something that you brought up as we were chatting earlier, drawing from your experience running a boutique consultancy. How do you manage or think about competing against larger consulting firms? So I think it's one of the big uh, and most interesting challenges that a small consulting business has. And, and actually, that can range from a consulting business that's literally one or two or three people working together as a, a small um, sort of consortium of, of, of people, or as a small boutique consultancy with sort of X, 20, 30, 40, 50 people. My sort of my theory from day one has always been to keep things simple. If you actually overcomplicate, it's very easy to think you need to do things to a certain level or in a certain way in order to compete with the, uh, the big five consultancies, as an example. The reality is that the moment you start to try to do that, in my experience, you go into a very dangerous um, sort of stormy water because the big five consultancies have got millions of pounds behind them or dollars or whatever, but of marketing capability, of slideware, of presenting. This is what they do. This is what they're brilliant at. This is their absolute forte. So my view is don't try and beat them at what they're best at but actually switch it, turn it on its head and be brilliant at what you're brilliant at as an individual or a small consultancy or a boutique. Now, where I think that starts to become interesting is when you actually sit in the shoes of your client and you think about those two different scenarios, your David versus Goliath. Yeah. So they're pitching with a small boutique consultancy, or they're asking a small boutique consultancy like mine to pitch. And they're also getting a pitch from the Accentures, the Deloitte's, the PwC's, whoever. And um, the perception that most people have, and I would say this is in my 35 years of going around and, uh, and, and doing consulting work, I would say this is pretty much universally the perception that I've seen, is that the big five consultancies, their model is very straightforward. They will sell as much as they can, obviously, and they will tend to use a whole range of different people, generally very bright but sort of graduates with MBAs from wherever, they tend to be much younger, whereas a boutique consultancy tends to be more grey hairs, someone who's been there and seen it and done it, as you can see from mine, <laughs> although you can't on the podcast. But I promise you they're there. But it tends to be more about I'm buying someone that I trust who's been there and seen it and done it. And therefore, it's a different perception of value for your boutique smaller consultancy to your large uh, um, sort of Goliath uh, top five, big five consultancy. And the approach that I've always taken has, as I said, been very simple. So number one, mm -hmm. I never prepare slides. 
I will never go into a pitch with slides. And the reason I won't go into a pitch with slides is because I'm competing against the slideware of those big five consultancies, and they are brilliant at it. They've got big departments all over the world who are there to produce those slides. For me, it's all uh, the, the, the interface with my potential client and that pitch is all about building on the trust that they already feel. So it's more to do with the things that I say, the way that I say them and making them feel comfortable and confident that if they take a risk with me, they're going to have a better outcome for lots of different reasons, but then if they take a, a, a risk and take a decision with a big five consulting firm. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Basically not playing the same game as the as the larger no. consultancies. I, I often call it sort of swimming against the tide. Yeah. The natural inclination is to think, I've got to go with the tide. I have to go the same direction as the big five consultancies. I have to produce a big, smart PowerPoint pack. I've got to, not at all. Yeah. And, and RFPs, no bid them. I remember no bidding an RFP for a huge telecoms company in the UK and media company. And they couldn't believe that I was no bidding. They just didn't understand it. And because they thought, you know, you're a small company. Surely you're trying to grow. Why would you no bid? Well, I know bid because I knew I'd lose if I bid. Yeah. So, so by yeah. drawing them into the conversation, it, it gave me a platform to have a the conversation I really wanted to have with them, which is, if you do it this way, maybe you'll get a better outcome and, and you know build trust with them. Yeah, yeah. A lot about good communication, really. When you said RFP, just for those that aren't aware, RFP referring to request for a proposal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was that was quite an interesting one because we, um, I was asked to actually respond to a request request for a proposal to do a training exercise for the leadership team of this business, the board members. And when I no bid, they said, "Why did you no bid?" And I said, "Because you can't go, in my opinion, if you go to leadership team level people, executive level people, and talk to them about training for." you know, they just aren't going to respond in the right way. They just will not. They don't want training. They're very successful people in their own rights. So you have to position it in a different way. And and that's what I did. And and I won the business. <laughs> I did win that piece of business. <laughs> yeah. So for other smaller consulting firms, when they think about differentiating themselves, like where are some good places? And, and instead of playing that you know, the same ball game as the larger consultancies do. Do you have any specific areas where you suggest they look to find that differentiating factor or to take stock of what they already have that sets them apart? So what, what I've always done is I've played to the whims of the client and what they're looking for. So what I think we can be very good at as small boutique niche consultants is sitting in the shoes of the client and really thinking about what it is that they're asking us to do and, and why it matters. And generally, if I'm honest, if I look at all the different pitches that we've given over the, diff over the years, they could have selected probably four or five different consultancies. And the actual proposition isn't going to be massively different. You know, they want to run a change program. They want to integrate a new business into their business. The actual proposition isn't going to be massively different. So your differentiation is less about 
the proposition and it's more about you as individuals and and are you going to reward the risk that that client is taking and it's big it's mm. they're taking a big risk in employing you as a boutique consultancy because as we all know no one gets fired for uh, employing a big five consultant that big brand you just don't if it goes wrong it goes wrong and for some reason it sort of often isn't isn't a great problem where it it gets just gets brushed under the carpet but if you recruit a small boutique consultancy and it goes wrong then that person who's put their neck on neck on the line to place that order for that piece of work is going to be scrutinized as to why they didn't go down a different route in the first place. So I think for me the points of differentiation are things like how you're going to uh so, so number one yet yeah, of course the proposition what it is that your solution is. I think the second one is making sure that your solution comes across as being very outcome focused. You're not delivering a solution for the sake of delivering a, a solution. You're delivering it because it's going to deliver an outcome or a set of outcomes that is going to make a difference. So it's not just about producing a pack of slides or a document. It's about doing something with that pack of slides or that document that makes a difference within that client. And I think if you can concentrate on outcomes rather than deliverables, that's you know that that's a point of differentiation if you can concentrate on that relationship and trust between you as an experienced practitioner and uh, and what the client's needs are that's a point of differentiation and the other one that i often use as a point of differentiation is just a very hard uh, simple sort of focus on how practical we will be we're not about shiny powerpoint slide decks at the end of a five month piece of work we're about implementation hard nose delivery and we've got years of experience doing it so trust us and we'll repay that trust yeah and one of the ways of building that trust that you've mentioned is uh, through honesty can you talk about why you feel honesty is so important in consulting and um, what are some good ways of expressing that i think um I think honesty is is absolutely crucial because to be a good consultant you need to have credibility and credibility does doesn't just come from subject matter expertise it comes from the way you deal with people with stakeholders with your client etc and I think the only way you can build confidence in a client is having a really open relationship with them and and almost up front one of the most powerful things i do when we go in and we uh, we specifically run transformation programs that's what we do and when we're going in to re to recover a transformation program that's gone off the rails which is often what we get asked to do is to go in when something's gone wrong as opposed to necessarily just when we're setting something up then um the first thing i will do is i'll sit in front of the client and i'll say to them we'd be delighted to take this on we're happy to have a look at it but i need to ask you a question and i need to be really honest about it which is if you are part of the problem then i need to know that i can say that <laughs> because if i can't then um there's probably no point in you spending you know wasting money on us because 
I need to know I've got that platform. It's a very, very powerful thing to do. It's something that takes a bit of bravery <laughs> because often you're thinking, oh my God, if I say that, the client's gonna, you know, gonna gonna turn around and say, What do you tell? What do you what do you mean I'm something wrong with me? It's amazing how often they turn around to you and, and put their hands up and say, no, if I'm doing something wrong, tell me. I'd love to be told. If yeah. I could do something better, tell me. And once you're in that position, you've really got a strong, you know, you can say anything. You can go back with, um, a, a, you know, a very, very honest overview of what's wrong and what needs to be sorted on the program. And uh, and I think that honesty just gives you that extra layer of credibility and trust uh, that empowers you to be more successful in delivery. I love that. That's a very, very simple frame setting there. Um, yeah. And just by expressing that at the start, it really sets the... It's so easy. It costs nothing. Yeah. It's so simple. And yet, you know, often people go down a different route and they try to jump straight to the solution. Mm. I can sort this out if we do the following things. Whereas if you, you need to gain, you need to gain some traction. And in order to gain traction, just by doing something like that, you can create a platform for you to really work off. That's great. So I'd love to also just uh, touch on how now you over, you own two businesses and one of them is is Keyview, uh, which we've spoken about, where you were able to evolve that business out of some of the work you were doing with Pro 4. Can you give us a brief overview of exactly what Keyview is as a, as a software platform and how it evolved out of uh, the work you were doing? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting because, you know, on the one hand, I would say to people, you know, when you grow and develop a career, keep it simple, like everything else I try to sort of tell people to do. And yet here I am running two businesses, <laughs> which, uh, which is definitely not keeping it simple. Um, so, yeah, what, what happened, Jonathan? We, we uh, worked with several different companies for years and years and years, and some of them had uh, portfolio management tools, project management tools. Mm -hmm. um, there's loads of them out there. And some of them were just using Excel spreadsheets and, and PowerPoint. Uh, and, and, and whatever they were using, we saw a consistent problem wherever we were being asked to work, which was that they, it wasn't rolling up anything at a portfolio level that was really very valuable. It wasn't you know, it was all too texty. People weren't, you know, executive teams weren't engaging with the data from the portfolio. It was too long. They didn't have time to read it. They didn't really feel it was very credible. And they felt like they had industries of PowerPoint and Excel happening across their businesses, which frustrated them. And we just took a look at why we, why we thought that was happening. You know, there we were working with multiple different companies that all seemed to have the same problem. So we, we took the opportunity to, to try and evaluate why it's happening. And actually, like many of these things, we found it was very simple. Uh, mm. The reason was it wasn't anything to do with capability or anything like that. It was, it was when you look at a portfolio of projects that are being run across most organizations, 80% of those projects are being run by normal operational people, just people that are doing stuff. And so if you give them a complex tool to work with that's got fantastic functionality but never gets used, it's too difficult, you are not going to get a decent view of the portfolio that you can roll up and give to leaders. So that was one thing. And then the other thing we saw was that 
the audience of that information, the audience of the insights of a portfolio of, of change was the executive team. Well, if you have a board of 10 people, eight out of 10 couldn't give a damn what the project methodology is. They don't care about raids and PIDs and they're not interested. They just want to know really simple stuff. Where, you know, what's the status of my projects? How much is it costing me? When are the benefits going to be realized? And, and what do I need to worry about? And give it all to all of that to me in a quarter of a page, and then I'll be happy. So that's where our journey with Keyview started, was actually saying, we're not going to design another portfolio management tool like all the others. We're going to design something that is workable and manageable and is going to give the audience what they want and is going to be simple enough for people that whether they're trained project managers or not to be able to engage with it and use it. And thus, Keyview was born nine, ten years ago nearly, and uh, and thus we've run two businesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting you say that starting off from a, a standpoint of the software needs to be simple. It's something that I've been increasingly more aware of, just on an individual level, that yeah. if a piece of software isn't straightforward enough to use instantly, and if I have to relearn it every single time, even if it's an amazing piece of software that does all these things, I'm just not going to use it because... Every single time I, I pull it out of the box, I have to relearn exactly how it works all over again. Yeah. Um, and I think that's accentuated in a scenario where you're trying to manage a portfolio of projects. Mm. Because by definition, if you've got two or three people, let alone 80%, yeah. who are finding it too complicated to get to, to engage with and work with, then you don't have a full picture of the portfolio. You're missing the five, six, 10, 15, 30, 100 projects that those people are running, but don't have the, but find the tool too complex. The moment you're missing any of that data, you don't have a credible picture of the portfolio. It is as simple as that. So there's no point creating a tool that's got fantastic functionality that is not usable yeah. by many, many of your employees or uh, you know contractors it has to be simple. Yeah. I, I also find that the software, if it's simple to use initially, that will actually mean that you'll want to actually start delving into some of the intricacies and the advanced yeah. functionality. But yeah. at first, you, you know, at first on first use, it needs to be simple, like you say. But, you know, that's what I get most enjoyment from. When I, when I, someone said to me the other day, what is it that makes you feel proud about your software? And it's nothing to do with the software. What makes me feel really, really proud is when companies have had our software for five, six, seven years, and we've watched their organization's maturity evolve over that period. It's the, it's the outcome that the software is driving that gives me most satisfaction. It's not the functionality or yeah. the mechanics of the software. It's, it's watching an organization improve the way that it runs a portfolio of, of change, that's that makes me feel proud. Yeah. And so I'm curious, evolving from running a professional services firm, identifying a solution, uh, sorry, identifying a problem, and then creating that software solution for that problem, are there any things that you wish that you'd done differently or you'd known about before uh, you started in that yeah. trajectory? I wish I'd got into the software business 10, 15 years earlier. <laughs> So that uh, we had 
sort of got 10, 15 years further down the line, partly because I really enjoy it. And partly because, um, you know, we, it takes time, mm. you know, it's, it just does. We don't, our, our platform is not a multi-tenant, not a multi-tenanted platform that people can just log in and they get going. We, it, it's implementable very, very quickly. It takes 15 days, but it is a dedicated piece of software for security reasons. You're not sharing it with other companies. And therefore, um, you know, it, it just, it, it takes time, it takes energy, and I would have started the business 15 years earlier um, uh, in order to really see it grow as I think it, you know, its potential is over the next five years or so. It's, it's got huge potential. Um, so I, I'd start it earlier. I'd be careful about running two businesses. I mean, our two businesses are very symbiotic in that we go in and we run projects of change, programs of change for our clients and we help them run their portfolios. And our software is a portfolio management um, software solution. But you know they are different sorts of businesses. We talked earlier on about how you compete against big five consultancies when you're pitching for a piece of consultancy work. When you're selling software, it's a very different, it is a different game. And um, I think, you know, uh, I don't know, it's difficult. Sometimes I think we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't really be running two businesses. Other times I think the software is as good as it is because of our knowledge of how you deliver stuff on the ground, our practical knowledge, um, as opposed to being a software house that develops software with software engineers. We do have all of that, but it's being designed and really developed from practitioners which I think is far more valuable. And you said that you really enjoy running software business. What are the things that you specifically enjoy the most? I love sitting down with a company the first time they see the software. And rather than when we do a demonstration, I try and do as many of the demonstrations that I can, mm-hmm. because I'm interested in the business that we're engaging with and what the problems that they're trying to solve are. So the bit that I love is I love sitting down and and it's not really about showing them what the software can do. It's the conversation about what, what are the challenges that they have at the moment with their portfolio and what are the problems they're trying to solve? And they are often very similar and they're not very complicated, but I really enjoy taking them through that journey of understanding the problems that they face, sort of partly reassuring them that they're not the only people that face those problems. Mm. Because, you know, if it's capacity planning, nearly every company I work with has that problem. You know, we want to be better at managing our resources. We want to get to plan our capacity versus our demand more effectively. We want to do, do dependency mapping better because we have we struggle with the amount, the volume that we're trying to put through the the funnel at any given time. I love breaking those problems down into constituent parts. And then the bit that we do with the software is simply configuring it to help them solve those problems, as opposed to presenting a menu of functionality. It does this, it does that, it does the other. I love problem solving. Yeah. So this has been, this has been a really great chat, Rupert. And I'd love for you to tell people a bit more about where they can find out more about KeyView and how they can also connect with you 
um, online. Yeah, uh, I'm always delighted to uh, to connect with people, and we try and sort of create some content ourselves that that goes out there um, for people to enjoy and share and think about, etc. Keyview is, uh, there's quite a lot of information and resources on our website, which is www.keyview, that's K-I-V-U-E, keyview.co.uk. Um, my, I'm also very happy to connect people on LinkedIn, uh, and you can find me under Rupert Taylor at Keyview. Uh, so um, very happy to connect with people and talk to them. I actually, um, I do quite a lot of leadership work with leadership uh, level people on mm-hmm. what it means to, to, to lead an organization through transformation. And um, that normally starts with a sort of working session, just talking through some of the stuff that they're, they're trying to handle on a, on a day-to-day basis. And, and that gives me a platform to build that trust we were talking about earlier on. So very happy to do to do that sort of thing as well. I'm just interested in the problems that people are trying to solve when it comes to managing change and transformation. So I think those are the two. LinkedIn and Keyview are probably the best places to find us. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so there you have it. Rupert, it's been great having you on the show. I really appreciate having you on and, and reconnecting after all this time. So Yeah, thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. It's been good. Cheers. Thanks. That's all for this episode. And if you want to follow the podcast on social media, we're on all the platforms. So if you just search for Leaders of Consulting or our handle Leaders of C on your social media platform of choice, that includes Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, you'll find us there.